Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hith Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? Um, not doing too bad for the summer doldrums. Uh, in fact, summer doldrums that have turned into kind of like a, a deja vu of last summer, uh, only with you know, potentially more ominous uh, overtones. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens with the PAC 12 and media deal and, you know, what happens with Colorado leaving and it's kind of making for a far more interesting July than I would really like. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, it's definitely, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's definitely yeah. filled up the media space with a bunch of uninformed speculation um, and, and sort yeah. of click driven, you know, faux journalism, uh, which we don't really do on Addicted to Quack. Uh, what we do is uh, informed analysis of uh, uh, Oregon Ducks and their opponents. And uh, you've been doing a lot of that. You've been writing up uh, previews of uh, the various basketball teams that Oregon, at least in this coming season, is going to play Mm -hmm. um let's start out talking about uh the article you wrote about the utah women's basketball team um they uh they fell to wazoo uh this year um uh in actually a pretty exciting um and 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 really good and surprising for for wazoo uh, uh uh conference tournament um utah uh probably should have beat them um and didn't and uh you're speculation uh uh, but informed speculation is that utah might be the team to beat uh to win the tournament this year um yeah and yeah they tied with stanford in the pac-12 standings um stanford had the uh, uh, number one seed in in the tournament you know based on a you know victory uh, over uh, over Utah, um, but Utah was uh, was a really good team last year. Um, they were they were good in in the Pac-12 tournament. And they just got surprised like everybody else by the Washington State Cougars. Um, I mean, they were they, killer in the regular season. They only lost three games. You know. Yep. Yeah, and in, in the regular season. Um, in the non-conference portion of it, uh, they beat Oklahoma, which mm-hmm. was a, a number five seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they beat Alabama, which was a number 10 seed. And uh, they beat Southern Utah, who uh, lost in a play-in game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they I mean, the, the Pac-12 conference is tough, but they took care of some pretty stiff competition outside the conference as, as well. And, you know, so they, they earned the number two seed that they got in the NCAA tournament. I mean, the, the Pac-12 conference has a couple of good teams at the top, you know, Wazoo's a a pretty, you know, you know, when we discussed the last, the last time you were on the podcast, sort of like a, this sort of win by default team, uh, Oregon was a very talented team. Uh, Stanford is, you know, an, an excellent team. And it's been, you know, they had a surprising season where they took some like surprise losses. Um, I don't know. Stanford is going to be an interesting te- 
2015 when you get around to writing about them um because like you know that's the legacy program uh and, and Tara Vanderveer is a hell of a coach but like just like on the football side the fact that they're you know the the transfer per- portal can taketh away but it can't really giveth to their program like they've already lost mm-hmm. one of their you know st- you know stud players um it's it it's interesting the position that Stanford occupies, you know, whereas Utah didn't have that problem. Um, and I sort of get where, you know, where you're going with like, you know, maybe Utah, cause it's like they have the steady coaching staff, um, that the other programs do, you know, just like, you know, Wazoo and Oregon and Stanford, you know, they have a head coach who's been in place for a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lynn Roberts um, has been with Utah um, eight seasons. She's going into her ninth season. And, um, you know, it's been a three th- thick and thin kind of a thing. Um, before the COVID season, uh, Utah was uh, regularly winning, you know, eight, 18, 17, 20 games. But the, during the COVID season, um, they had a, a huge drop off um, going yeah. um, uh, five and sixteen, and um, you know it kind of uh, says good stuff about a coach who can pick up those kinds of pieces and then turn it around the past couple seasons way that that she has um, for twenty one twenty two. Uh, they won uh, 21 games, and and then last season they uh, went 27 and five. They they were completely undefeated at home. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it, they only lost two games at a conference, and one of them was to LSU. You know, like mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and like they hung tough with LSU too. You know, yeah, yeah, they did. Um, they're a good team, and, and it's going to be interesting to see if Stanford is uh, kind of slipping from being that dominant program that they've been for, yeah, for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as I can remember, you know, Stanford and everybody else. Um, but uh, I think Utah is going to uh, compete with them. Give them a run for well, the money. At, at any rate, like they have similar advantages to Stanford. Uh, you know, they they have a home crowd that's into it. Uh, they have a, a head coach, you know, who's been around for a long time and knows what they're doing. Uh, they have, uh, you know, a veteran uh, 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 group of players who are all coming back. And, you know, they're not, you know, losing folks to the transfer portal and, and, and you know, they recruit, you know, fairly decently, right? You know, like, you know, there's no reason to like bet against Utah is, is sort of, you know, what's going on, you know, uh, and like, if you're going to compare them to another team that, you know, the team they lost to, you know, in the conference tournament, you know, Wazoo, their talent level is better than Wazoo, you know, like, yeah, Wazoo beat them, you know, last year, if you're going to put everything on a single game that was played last year, you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess you'd have to give it to Wazoo, but like, you know, odds on, you know, I, you know, I think the Utah is a better team, you know, like I, I think if they played that game 10 times, I think Utah wins like seven of them, you know? Yeah. And, um, Utah benefits from the same kind of thing that Wazoo is going to benefit from this, uh, coming season, keeping that core group of veterans and U- Utah is returning all of their starters. Yeah. In fact, they're, they're returning. Yeah. They're returning uh, more than Wazoo is. Yeah, and they're uh, returning. I think they're um, their top seven um, production players from last yeah. season. So you know, essentially, it, it's the same team and the same core. Um, so you know, they're they're going to benefit from that, same as Wazoo's going to benefit from uh, having their veteran core group come next year it's gonna be very interesting uh yeah and, and i mean it's a tall team too you know like you know it's they're not playing a lot of like small hustle ball you know like it's 
they have a six two forward they have a six o guard they have a you know, they have two six two forwards you know like mm-hmm. uh they have a six eight center although they don't actually play her that much it's interesting um yeah uh, uh but it, you know at any rate you know like a lot of teams you know in, in women's basketball that are sort of like oh they're good but they're not that good it's like it's small hustle ball it's like that's not utah you know in case anybody thinks it's sort of like uh you know, that's Utah's game. Like, no, not really. Uh, they're, they're playing legit basketball, uh, with, with, you know, with actual size, you know, uh, you know, and that they will, they will definitely attempt to dominate you in the paint. They will definitely attempt to like, you know, put, you know, you know, physically match up with you, um, and, and, you know, win dribble drives and and like, yeah, no, it's a legit team. Uh, and they're bringing back everybody, you know, from a team that probably Mm -hmm. should have won the tournament last year, you know, given that Oregon's talent wasn't producing and, you know, Stanford is more vulnerable than they ought to be. Um, uh, or than, you know, and expected. And, uh, and the other thing is that like, you know, not that they need it, you know, I'm just sort of speaking structurally here. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this doesn't really apply to this year because like they, you know, they, they bring back everybody, but the thing about Utah versus Stanford is sort of like a long-term proposition is that Utah can play in the transfer portal, you know, like they're probably going to lose a couple of players, you know, this year and, and like their freshman intake is, you know, the freshman intake hasn't been bad, but like they can go and get transfer players in a way that Stanford can't. So like mm-hmm. as a long-term proposition, like I might be more inclined to bet on Utah than I would be to, to bet on Stanford um, in terms of like, you know, solid program building, you know, like I, I'm, I'm more inclined overall to bet on Oregon, you know, in the sense of like Oregon is really going to be drawing in talent, but like, you know, that's, you know, that that's a question for another day is like, why isn't Oregon's talent performing? You know, there was a million opinions about that. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, I sort of think, you know, the, the, the question about, you know, Utah and Wazoo, um, you know, is that like, you know, Stanford faltered and so did Oregon. And that meant, you know, the conference was, you know, ripe for the taking, you know, that's what we talked about last time when we were talking about Wazoo is sort of like the, honestly, these are, you know, we're not talking about programs with a bunch of five stars. We're talking about programs that are solidly built, you know, with, you know, that are good, well-coached programs by coaches who have, you know, been in position for a long time and who have, you know, built their programs, you know, well, so that the programs that are like talented with premier coaches and, you know, premier players, when something goes wrong, they're in position to take advantage, which like doesn't take anything away from them. Like, you know, like good for them, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's, if you're in position to take advantage and then you take advantage, like that means that you did, you know, a lot, right. You did everything right. You know, like congratulations, you deserve, you know, all the pats in the back in the world, but it also means that like, you know, that, that situation arose, you know, due to in some regards do circumstances outside of your control namely the programs that had the talent like that talent wasn't performing um and if the talent does perform it's probably a different question um but you know it's also a question for a different podcast <laughs> yeah the um um utah's in a position where uh, they're in that classic if if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of a thing yeah, definitely uh, they don't they only bring in uh, a couple of freshmen uh, into next season and they're not really in a hurry to ease them into a bunch of playing time. Yeah. yeah there's exactly. room, there's room to, uh, develop these players. And I mean, they brought back all of their starters and like four of their bench players, you know, like I seriously <laughs> doubt the freshmen <laughs> are going to see any playing time. Yeah. And, and maybe, uh, feel them out and, and, and the way that Utah the, wins, they're not winning in such crazy blowouts that the freshmen are going to, you know, st- Oh, put them in starting in the middle of the third quarter, you know, like, uh, that's not Utah's yeah. game. Yeah, no, it'll be, uh, interesting to see how they, how Utah uses them in the, uh, non-conference portion of the season, uh, against, you know, teams that they, they should be beating. And, yeah, give them a taste of uh, college play. Yeah, definitely. Um, and speaking of uh, the transfer portal, um, Utah does bring in uh, a few transfer portal players. Um, 
the one that really you know jumps off my page is is uh, uh, Maddie Wilkie from uh, Wisconsin. You know, she's coming from uh, a Power Five school. Uh, was a starter at Wisconsin. Has great stats. You know, she was uh, she uh, averaged almost thirty four minutes a game as a starter. You know, shoots forty three percent from the field, thirty five percent from beyond the arc, and so um, it'll be interesting to see how she competes with the existing starters. You know, for for uh, a starting spot, and you know who the sixth player, who the sixth person off the bench is going to be. Um, so yeah, I don't, uh, I, she, she brings a lot to be, to be excited about, you know, if you're a Utah fan. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think their starting lineup is set. I, I, I interpreted Wilkie as a depth piece and same as the Boston U player whose name is escaping me right now. Um, uh, uh, uh crispy. Um, yes. Yeah. Sam crispy. Uh, yeah, no, I think those are depth pieces because, Frank. I mean, go look up their records. Like, I don't think those are very good teams. Like the fact that they were starters on bad teams like, doesn't super impress me. Like, uh, you know, especially given that, like their shot numbers are like pretty comparable to Utah's starting shot numbers. Like, I really think those are probably depth pieces. But like what that says about like, you know, what that really says is like the the freshman um, playing minutes are probably going to be poor. Um, and so, you know, but, you know, the, the relevance of that is that like Utah is able to multi-dimensionally add to their roster in a way that like Stanford is not able to multi-dimensionally add to their roster, right? Like mm-hmm. Stanford has to do it the old fashioned way, um, which is why I think like sort of a, you know, this isn't super relevant for 23, 24, because like I said, you know, I think that Utah is just going to roll with their starters from last year. Um, but like, yeah, something else that that uh, Utah benefited from last year was uh, kind of a, a lack of injury issues. Yeah. So, so it, I don't know. That's not, ha- that's not going to happen every season. And so, yeah, having the depth is important. Yeah. I mean, I, you should never say the depth is not important. It's just that, like, I don't know. Like, injuries are just like freak, you know, like this ain't football, you know, like it's, like women's basketball is not particularly injury prone. So like, I, I mean, like, I, I'm not saying that as a theoretical matter, you can look it up. Like, it's just like, there's not that many minutes missed, you know, due to injuries in women's basketball. It's just not a very mm-hmm. high contact sport. You know, it's even lower than soccer is um, like, you know, but like, yeah, sure. Depth pieces are important, you know, like, uh, you know, my point is just like they're, it's a more fluid team, you know, like they're able to, you know, add to the roster, like, and, and they were proactive in doing so, you know, like they, you know, like Utah didn't say, Hey, we're turning nine players. Um, you know, we're done, you know, no, they went out and got, you know, two more like, and two, you know, shot pretty well, you know, they're not, you know, it's not like they got like community college players, you know? Yeah. Um, they picked up a, a third transfer, um, uh, from BYU. From B- I don't know. BYU. Utah and BYU are constantly swapping players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, they yeah, claim to be rivals and yet they constantly do that. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was a freshman last year and didn't play. So, you know, yeah, that uh, she's going to be that that's resource that we're talking about. She's, yeah. uh, kind of, uh, an unknown and I don't know that it really um, matters a whole lot, given what Utah is returning. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably for a future, you know, probably a future piece. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting team to watch for the, you know, because this isn't like, you know, a lot of times teams that are sort of like what you expect from Utah's talent profile, sort of like their 
built to crest when like everything comes together with a bunch of seniors and then like they all fall apart the next year and it's like oh yeah well you know look out for us three years from now um and it's i don't really think so i think utah's sort of building a program that's going to be like yeah this team is going to be dangerous every single year you know they're layering it well so that you know between freshmen and transfers and like yeah so it's going to be like a solid team every single year like i I like the way the roster is managed like yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah so Utah's not going anywhere. Like, yeah, I, I like this team, and I liked your write up of this team. Like, it was, uh, no, I, I all right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll talk about Cal basketball. All right, uh, let's stay with the women's side. Uh, uh, Cal basketball, uh, also <laughs> has a uh, longtime head coach, uh, right? Jermyn Smith. Um, yeah, she hasn't uh, been around quite as long as Roberts, but um, she's going into her fifth season. Um, she fifth was, season at Cal, but she's been coaching, you know. In yeah, fifth, fifth season as time. the head head coach, but she's been on the coaching staff for you know fifteen seasons or so. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's been um, a part of. Uh, both her successes in the you know mid to late 2000s and early 2010s uh, as well as uh, some of the struggles that Cal is uh, currently facing they um, the the past four seasons or so they they've had trouble uh, staying out of the cellar. Yeah, it's like um, the, the COVID season just wrecked them, and then, yeah. then that's it. Like they have just never recovered. Yeah, yeah, and the, the COVID season uh, wrecked a lot of teams, and yeah, it um, that kind of points to uh, how well uh, Utah has recovered from the COVID season because mm-hmm. they, they they were in the same boat. Yeah, you know, only five victories on the season. Utah's turned it around. Um, Cal is still trying to turn it around. Um, they last season, their um, big star was their their freshman Jada Curry, um, who who's their what, point guard. You know, like a good that was like if you're going to build a program around a, a single player like make it your point guard like yeah yeah she was uh one of two players that were in double digits and uh in which is terms of average stat. average <laughs> two players in the double digits is not a great stat yeah yeah and w- what hurts even worse is that uh she transferred to Louisville at the end of the season so uh so they don't return um, their best player and um, yeah they they do return um, most of their other starters um, they have some uh, other players from last year's squad but this is a, a team that's going to depend on um, fresh faces to you know try to um, get out of uh 10th and 12th place in the pack 12 standings yeah yeah uh, it's pretty bad like i i don't you know i i mean i guess uh, i don't know i like i i guess they're not exactly rolling with this same you know squad of 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 you know players who can't shoot you know they are they are trying out some new players here like um but I mean, like it was, I mean, it's so obvious that Curry was the only player that they had who could, who was valuable on the floor. Um, who was like seriously a power five women's basketball player. Um, and then, and then Louisville was like, just took her, you know, just like, why would you want to play for this team? And it's sort of like, <laughs> I don't know. Like the problem with being a seller dweller is like, how do you recruit? Like, how do you build excitement? And, and like, mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of like the the sort of longtime coach thing is is at least as much of a curse as it is a, a blessing because it's sort of like, you know, 
I don't know. I, I come at this from the football perspective, you know, like the, the Deion Sanders thing, you know, like, Hey man, he may be selling, you know, glitz and hype and smoke and mirrors for a while. Uh, but like, they haven't played a game yet, you know, like he can get guys to show up to that program, you know, because they haven't lost any games yet. You know, they're, right. they're undefeated right now. Like Cal is defeated right now. Uh, and I don't know how you get, you know, good players to show up. And, and I mean, they got to play against good players in the pac 12. Um, you know, they, they got to play against the good players that Kelly Graves signs and they got to play against the good players that, you know, Tara Vandeveer signs and they got to play against the solid teams that Wazoo and Utah, you know, put on the court and then whatever the hell UCLA is doing this year. That's I'm, I'm really looking forward to your UCLA preview. That's another team that ought to be better than it is. They got to, you know, mm-hmm. they've got to play against, you know, Ada Barnes, uh, Arizona team. I'm looking forward to whenever the hell uh, <laughs> AZ Desert Swarm gets back to you and you can write your Arizona preview. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, like you got to play some good teams in the Pac-12, uh, you know, and like, how do you get out of the cellar? Um, like, I'm not sure this is the squad to do it. And like, even if Coach Smith is a good coach, like, I don't know, like, like, you, you know what I mean? It's sort of like a trap. Like, how does she build excitement and and, and get a good player to come to her program? You know? Right. Right. And, um, and the, as I said in, in my article, the, the team that they're putting on the court this year has only three underclassmen, you know, two freshmen and one sophomore. And the rest are, um, juniors, red, red shirt juniors and seniors. This is a, um, uh, very heavily, senior yeah. and i mean team. like se- seniors who shot like you know who averaged like six points from the floor you know mm-hmm. and it's like um i don't know the ship's probably sailed yeah and it's uh it, it's really kind of difficult to imagine uh, one that there's going to be very much improvement or or two uh even with uh, improvement, it it goes to your point. Yeah, how do you how do you attract those uh, hotshot freshman recruits? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't they have basically did like they like their freshman signing class was terrible. Like you know what they did do was hit the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, it's just like like these transfers such a like this really like eclectic group. Um, you know. Uh, um, they, they brought in a player from, you know, uh, USF, the other USFs, the San Francisco Dons, um, mm-hmm. which like they've got to come up with a better name for their women's team. Like that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like, um, you know, uh, uh, 16 points a game, you know, for the Dons, you know, beats me. Uh, uh, you know, they brought a team from UC Santa Barbara. That's another like, you know, lo- lower level program. They, they brought in, mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, uh, a guard from Gonzaga, um, who, but who basically like didn't play, um, uh, uh for the first two seasons, but then like it was a starter last year you know, for Gonzaga, but then why'd she transfer out? You know, like, you know, why would you transfer from Gonzaga to Cal, you know? Yep. Yeah, I, I don't get that. That's a it's sort of like this movement. is the trap for Cal. It's like why, you know, anybody who voluntarily transfers to Cal, I immediately have questions about how good you how good you are. If like that was the best right. landing spot you could find was Cal. Like you, you must not be very yeah. good. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh it's it'll be uh interesting to see um, just what exactly um, what exactly they have in mind. Um, you know, I, I don't know what Smith's game plan is with um, bringing in these transfers. I mean, is she just trying to uh, get through a season and uh, not be at the bottom of the standings or um, – yeah, I, uh, I I don't see the same kind of roster management uh, game plan that 
we see from uh, other coaches in the league. I mean, I see an attempt at roster management. It's just like it's hard to climb out of the cellar, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, because like you can't like, what are you selling at Cal? You know, like I have I have no idea what she'd be able to like playing time, I guess. But like, you know, there's a lot of programs that are able to sell selling time or playing time, you know, Um yeah, I mean, hell, the a, last transfer that they brought in didn't even want playing time. Like Marta Suarez, like stepped away from the game. Like, um, like yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. Well, she uh, she had uh, some personal problems in yeah. in her native Spain. So, um, but it's like it's impossible. She, yeah. she she was playing at University of Tennessee, but then we don't like we don't have stats on her because she was like she yeah. she she booked it in January. So it's like it's like you know, we only have half season for her. So it's like, yeah. So like, uh, I, I don't know. I give her, you know, I, I, frankly, I give coach Smith some credit for like trying to rebuild, you know, the roster and recognizing that like a bunch of seniors who shoot six points from the floor are not going to cut it. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, like when I do football roster reviews, you know, I go hard at coaches who are like, who have a bad team or a bad school you know, one side of the ball, you know, and are complacent about it. And like, that's not what I see. I say, you know, transfer portal activity, but like the problem is like, you know, I just don't like, I don't know. I, I think that Cal probably, you know, not because coach Smith is necessarily a bad coach, but just like, you can't like, I, I don't know how you do this short of a coach, you know, a coach prime situation where you just like go get a new coach, you know, who can get some like who can give you a spark like, you know, it's I, to, to me, it's like the only thing I can think of to like to to you know, to develop something, which is what the men's side did, which is the other article that you wrote about Cal recently is, mm -hmm. you know, they finally got rid of their just complete dud of a coach, um, Mark Fox, uh, and hired, uh, what Utah Valley's coach. Who's like, I don't know. They made the tournament sort of like uh, one of the tournaments, the NIT, like, I'm not mm -hmm. sure that Utah Valley is a good coach or a good team, you know, to be perfectly honest, but like anybody's better than Mark Fox. So that checks one box. Uh, and number two is just like, hey, he can he can sell something. You know, he's, you know, the, uh, you know, oh, oh, I've forgotten his name already. Like, that's how bland he is. Mark Madsen. Oh, my God. Yeah. White, white bread, he, he, he played for Stanford, the most yes. white bread men's basketball program in the world. Like, uh, but he's like, at least he can sell something, you know, like. Yeah, um, he can sell. He can sell the fact that. Yeah, he was on a, a couple of Lakers championship teams. Yeah, exactly. He can know, show he, some he rings you know? for a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, there's there's some glitter there, and uh, uh, you know, hopefully for for Cal, you know, if I'm a, a Cal fan, uh, which I'm not, but if I was a Cal fan, you know, I'd, I'd be uh, hoping that that. Um, that resume pays off in uh, attracting a better player. I don't know. Has he done it yet? Um, there's, there are some um, players that he has brought in that were, they're kind of interesting. Um, I mean, like my standard would be this program was three and 19 last year and their shooting was, um, like atrocious, like definitionally atrocious. If you go to Ken Palm, like this was the worst basketball team in division one, um, you know, uh, barring a couple of teams that are sort of like would surprise you to learn that they had a basketball team. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think he should have like driven everybody that, you know, from last year's team off the team and just completely, you know, d done the coach prime thing and just like built it all from the transfer portal. Is that what he did? Um, not exactly. <laughs> he, he did retain, um, he did retain six players from last year's, uh, squad. He, he, he retained the best player that they had. And that was, uh, Devin Askew, mm. um, who injured, who was injured midway, uh, into the season. Um, 
and that really kind of hurt Cal because he's far and away uh, their best player. Um, he returns uh, this coming season. You know, if he can stay healthy, he is a uh, a piece to build around. Uh, unlike um, Jada Curry on the women's side, you know, the men do retain um, their best guard. And so that's something. The The other parts are just uh, um, big men and, and, you know, bench players. Yeah, so, sure. So it's... Um, but I mean, and, and it's a lot of transfers probably... though, right? Like you got a transfer from Texas Tech, you mm-hmm. know, who's played a lot of basketball in Fardar Zamik, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, he shoots pretty well. You know, yeah, I mean, at, at Texas Tech, he's got some some good numbers. You know, shooting forty four percent from the field and you know seventy four percent from the line. Those those are respectable numbers from uh, a Power Five school. Um, but like, I mean, they're all super experienced, right? Like, yeah. you know, he he went and got uh, Jalen Cohn, who's who's another fifth year player. I mean, yeah, from Northern Arizona, but he's been playing for a long time. Um, uh, and shoots 40% from the three point line. You got, uh, um, Mike Meadows, uh, from, uh, uh, UP, uh, here in Portland. Um, yep. another, you know, another fifth, fifth year player, six, two guard, um, uh, uh, you know, 10, 10 points, you know, a game, uh, you got Keonti Kennedy, uh, who's a fifth year from Memphis, not a bad team. Um, uh, although I think he was, he, he got hurt last year, right? Yes, um, both he and Meadows were yeah injured last year, and that kind of um, impacted their performance uh, last year. But they it's sort of like uh, rolling. They, the they've dice. Had so- on the other hand, they were like their fifth year players, so it's like, oh yeah, their stats were diminished in their most recent year. But it's not like they were bums for the previous four years. They were seeing the you know they were seeing the floor, so it's like yeah, okay, right. And they they have some respectable numbers to show for it. You know, both of them. So, yeah, it's it's not a bad move. They got another sure. player from Texas Tech, Jalen Tyson, who it's like, you know, I, I don't have any problem with getting multiple players from Texas Tech because, like, probably their cup runneth over, you know, right? Like, the, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know. And, yeah, he's, and, and a, he's, a, he's a tall guard, you know, 6'7". Yeah, 6'7 guard, uh, which is interesting. Um, and then they got, a, a another player who came in from Penn who's, you know, probably, probably going to be depth, you know, uh, but whatever, you know, he, he went hard. I mean, he went hard to the transfer portal, Yeah, you know, like, yeah. And, and it looks like he, um, got the, the pieces that he needed that weren't there last season. Yeah. I mean. California. I I have no idea if those guys can play or not, but I definitely know that the guys last year couldn't play. Uh, So like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. You you retain like you're one good player. You retain a couple of bench guys because like you can't completely, you know, throw the culture in the trash. Uh, And then you go get, you know, some some, you know, uh, uh, high floor you know, players from other programs, you know, that are sort of like, Hey, th- those aren't garbage players. You know, they've definitely shown that they can do something, you know, they're not, they're not pig and poke players, you know, they're like, they've demonstrated they have, you know, some value and you, mm-hmm. and, and the program got a coach who, you know, has some coaching chops, you know, Utah Valley, you know, has been to the NIT, they beat some teams, you know, it's not like he's this wet behind the years coach, you know, like is, is, you know, Madsen, you know, gonna, uh, uh, you know, gonna, gonna, you know, go to the sweet 16 this first year, probably not. Um, but is this going to be like the Mark Fox disaster show, you know, yet again, no, this is like the kind of roster turnover that you're supposed to do, you know, when your team stinks, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know if this, you know, qualifies as building excitement, but like he's in a position where he can go get those folks, you know, because the team's not in stagnation because this is, you know, year zero. And like, I sort of feel like, even though I don't think that Charmin Smith on the women's side is a terrible coach, I sort of think, you know, once you've been stagnating, it's like you know it's like when a ship is becalmed like when you're stuck you're stuck and you don't have any ability to like 
you know, to, to generate, you know, like sailing ships don't have the ability to generate their own wind. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's the becalmed metaphor, like the, you know, like the, 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 you, when you're a new coach, you have the ability to generate sort of your own spark and that's what they're doing right now. And so like Cal fans got to like hope that that's what, you know, what's going to happen, you know, for them, maybe they're able to, to get some success and build on it. Um, and like that's why you go get a bunch of high floor players because like at the very least they should be able to win more than three games you know like mm -hmm. uh, you know are they going to light the world on fire you know probably not but like win more than three games yeah I think we'll probably check that box yeah and Madsen's in the same position that the Primus he hasn't lost a game yet so yeah. uh, you can generate some excitement with that uh, I don't I think you're going uh, a little overboard when you claim that you're going to be competing for the Pac-12 championship in year one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, everybody's uh, everybody's got to say that. Yeah. Yeah, they do. All right. Um, but, you know, uh, as I said in, in my article, if, if they can come out of the uh, Pac-12 cellar, be in uh, ninth, eighth place in the standings, then then they've been successful. I don't know. They're, they got, they're, they're on they got some corpses to stand on, you know, they, they got, Stanford, <laughs> yeah. you know, they got Oregon state, you know, they, there's, yeah. some, there's some bodies on the bottom of the song. Yeah, All right. Exactly. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll talk some football. All right. I am finally done. At least I think I am uh, writing about uh, transfers to the Oregon Ducks football program uh, with the fourth and final of the post spring uh, transfers. Uh, that is uh, Nico Reed, um, a cornerback um, from Colorado. Uh, the second uh, cornerback that Oregon has taken from Colorado, the first was Christian Gonzalez. Um, both of them, both Christian Gonzalez and Nico Reed was, were trained up by Demetrius Martin Um uh, who's uh, Martin himself is an interesting guy. He's uh, been around the the Pac-12 um, for a long time. He was uh, the cornerbacks coach previously at uh, Washington and UCLA. Um, he got he got fired along with all of Jim Morris staff at the end of 2017. But he was like by far their most competent position coach. And it was like I don't know. Chip Kelly should have retained him. Their defense would have been a hell of a lot better. Um, but he didn't. Um, and so he went to Arizona, um, and, and like, I don't know, Arizona's, you know, doesn't have any talent. So, you know, that's unfortunate. And like Colorado didn't really have any talent too either, but like, um, you know, he managed to train up some good guys. He trained up like Christian Gonzalez. He got drafted, he trained up, um, Kai Blackman, uh, he, he got drafted. Um, and so, Anyway, Nico Reed's story is that he um, was a 2021 um, recruit. Oh, Demetrius Martin, for anybody who's not aware of this, is an Oregon podcast. I'm not sure you would be. Uh, at the end of 2022, um, when Carl Jarrell's staff was fired at, at, at Colorado, uh, Demetrius Martin got the axe again. Um, he keeps getting the axe with a bunch of different <laughs> Like He got the axe um, at, at uh, you know, Arizona, you know, with Kevin Sumlin's staff. Uh, and that's why he wound up at, at Colorado. Um, I think he got the ax too with Sark's staff. Um, uh, 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 anyway, um, uh, so anyway, he, he went to Oregon. Like he keeps getting the ax and not deserving it. But anyway, um, so he's at Oregon. That's why Christian Gonzalez wound up at Oregon. Um, and, and that's why Nico Reed ultimately, I think, oh, you know, wound up at Oregon. So anyway, but let me tell you Nico Reed's story. He was, um, recruited in the 2021 cycle. Um, he, uh, uh, along with, I might as well tell uh, another cornerback story. His name is Kalen Moore. Um, he was also a 2021 recruit. He had about the same, um, recruiting profile as, uh, as, uh, Nico Reed. Um, both of them were like, there were other cornerbacks on the team at the same time. Um, but both of them as true freshmen became the backups in 2021 to the starters who were Christian Gonzalez and Mecky Blackman. And they, all four of those guys, plus a couple other dudes, uh, were under, um, Demetrius Martin in 2021. Um, uh, and it was, you know, not a half bad cornerback group. Um, so then, uh, uh, at the end of the 2021, uh, uh, season, um, uh, 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 Demetrius Martin leaves, uh, for Oregon. 
um, uh, Christian Gonzalez leaves for Oregon. Um, the, the, uh, 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 Mickey Blackman leaves for USC. Um, and so, uh, Nico Reed and Kalen Moore become the new starters, but they're just true sophomores now. Um, so it's sort of like, I wasn't expecting a whole lot, you know, out of their film because they're just true sophomores and the good cornerbacks coach Demetrius Martin has left. Um, so mm-hmm. it's sort of like, Oh, this, you know, this won't be that good. Um, and I knew that going in because, you know, I wrote a Colorado preview, um, uh, you know, and if you go back and read my, you know, my duck dive Colorado 2022 preview, I'm like, oh man, this should, you know, they lost Demetrius Martin and they lost Christian Gonzalez and they lost Mickey Blackman. And the only guys they have to replace them are these two true sophomores. You know, yeah, they were the backups last year, but I'm not really expecting a whole lot out of these guys. And so then I'm watching the 2022 film and the damnedest thing you know, happens when I'm watching the 2022 film. And I actually said this out loud in November, you know, right before Oregon played Colorado. And I had no idea that Nico Reed was going to transfer to Oregon. I said this to Jack Barsh when we were, you know, just setting up my Oregon versus Colorado preview back in November, which is that like everybody who is playing Colorado changes their game plan. And they just attack the middle of the field. They don't attack sort of the sidelines or the stuff that the corners are responsible for. I mean, they do a little bit, but like not as much as they do in every other game. Cause like I chart everybody's games. Like I chart the entire pack 12. I can see the whole network. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, I wonder why that is, you know, like I definitely understand that the middle of the field for Colorado just stinks. Like they're both their their linebackers and their safeties and coverage are just God awful. But like I sort of expected their corners would be God awful too. And that's generally an easier way to score touchdowns with the quarterbacks in this league is just throw it deep, you know, to these one-on-one, you know, cornerbacks. And here's another piece of the, the equation. Demetrius Martin has an interesting effect, which is cornerbacks that he trains up. Like they wind up playing in man coverage about a six percentage points, you know, greater than the Pac-12 average at all the schools that he's at. And then for the year after he leaves, they play about 41% in man, you know, and the average for the Pac-12 is more like 35%. Um, it's, was it's like that a- true at less, less season at Oregon? Also, it actually wasn't. Oregon was sort of the 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 team that broke the pattern. Um, Oregon was like thirty eight percent man. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, like Lanning sort of like asserted the you no, know, we're primarily a zone team, which is interesting because they have decent cornerbacks. But you know, whatever. Anyway, um, anyway, the uh, uh, yeah, he he. So so they're they're. You know, you would sort of expect quarterbacks in this league with against true sophomore cornerbacks would just like just light up these dudes. Uh, but they weren't. They were lighting up the middle of the field, you know, with like tight ends and inside receivers and running backs and like screen plays and all sorts of stuff. And like, sure, I mean, they were definitely doing it. Like, I mean, the, the Colorado was not a good pass defense, but it wasn't by attacking the cornerbacks. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, it's definitely it was definitely a path of least resistance thing and so like you know the most you could really say or i could say from watching the broadcast film was sort of like well i think the cornerbacks are just putting up slightly more resistance than the inside of the of the colorado pass defense so it's like you know in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king you know the best i could say <laughs> these cornerbacks maybe they're just one-eyed men um but like you know, hey man, one-eyed men on a Colorado's football team. <laughs> anyway, so I so, like I had some praise for both Nico Reed and Kalen Moore. Um, and, uh, so, but I didn't have the all twenty-two, and it's really sort of difficult to actually evaluate. Like that's all inference, you know. Um, mm-hmm. it's not like direct evaluation. So for this project, I managed. I I, I beat the bushes, and I, I can't tell you how I got it, but I managed to acquire the all twenty-two film for Colorado versus a couple different uh, programs with some very good quarterbacks, um, including Oregon. Although the Oregon film, I didn't actually wind up making it into my article at all. Um, and and the reason is, Bo Nix didn't throw against um Nico Reed at all, not once. Hmm. Not a single time. Nico Reed was assigned to uh, Dante Thornton that entire game. Uh, Dante Thornton didn't get a catch until late into garbage time. And it was a screen pass. It was a tunnel screen and, and Reed wasn't on that coverage. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it was it was zone and it just it wasn't his zone because um, it was a tunnel screen was going inside. Um, and uh, and it was like, yeah, man, when I was watching the all 22, like it was nuts. Like no one, no one in this conference was throwing against Colorado's cornerbacks. And in particular, to the extent they were throwing against corners, they were throwing against more and not read. In fact, the bias was uh, 65, 35 um, wow. in terms of side of the field, like, like quarterbacks were not even looking at reads side of the film, a field, 65% of downfield passing snaps um, on the, and that I can evaluate from broadcast film because I can see where Reed is lining up and then I can watch the quarterback's helmet on broadcast film. Um, so like, I mean, it's like, like offenses were changing their game plan to avoid throwing against Nico Reed, which is like, huh, that's interesting. Now, do I think that Nico Reed is like the greatest cornerback in the world? No. Um, I think he's very technically sound and you'll have to read my article, um, uh, uh, for why, like I, I go into a great deal of depth. I really enjoyed writing this article and going into the, like the, the, all the teaching tape on it, um, for like all, all the technical methods for like sideline leverage and how you do, um, you know, uh, you know, how you, how you cover dudes like in footwork stuff and how you stick to guys and man versus zone principles and like, you know, sideline principles and, and like, yeah, it's, you know, this was actually a really, really enjoyable article to write, but you know, just from like the a statistical, you know, or sort of like an overall, like how Nico Reed affected offenses, you know, perspective is sort of like quarterbacks didn't want to throw against him, um, it, which was really, really interesting. Um, uh, now here's the downside. And and actually really interesting compared to dudes like, you know, I've been watching Demetrius Martin's um, cornerbacks for a long time. He likes he has a bias for tall dudes like he generally gets cornerbacks who are like six one or taller. Um, Nico Reed's short. He's like five ten and not just like five ten, but like a skinny five ten. He's like one eighty five and uh, and doesn't have like particularly like long arms either. Like he's really five ten. And like, I think that does help him in some ways. Like he's very fluid, like he's sticky. He's very sticky. I've got a whole like clip compilation of him where like the, the receiver is trying to shake him like he, the, like reversing back and forth and back and forth a bunch of different ways. Like I scramble drills and stuff. And he's like, nah, you can't shake him at all. Like he's really good. I got this one where he's like sticking to Jordan Addison on a plate that nobody is able to stick to Jordan Addison on. Um, like he's, you know, and that's something that really guys who have like a, sh- uh, lower center of gravity do have a little bit of advantage on that but mm-hmm. taller cornerbacks have an advantage in certain other forms of coverage in that like trail coverage is the most classic example where it's like i the, the receiver can be a little bit ahead of me but i can still just jump up and knock the ball down i talked about this when we when i was talking about gary bryant the receiver who is a shorter slot receiver who like you know, the, the downside of being a shorter receiver is that you can't win 50, 50 balls against tall cornerbacks, you know, like, well, that's because the advantage the tall cornerbacks have. Well, you know, Nick Reed's not a tall cornerback, you know, he can't do that. Um, and like, there's other problems too. Like there's, there's really only one example, but I put it in my article anyway, just like to highlight it, you know, and show it is like, he goes to jam a Minnesota receiver, which is the, their opponent in week three. And he just like, he loses like the minister <laughs> yeah. receiver is so much bigger than him. He just like shoves him back. And it's the only play. I mean, literally the only play where he just gets like burned that bad. Cause it's just like, he can't, he's like, <laughs> you know, he just like, yeah. he doesn't get knocked down, knocked down, but it's like, he's losing by two paces. And it's like, he never loses by two paces. And he just basically, he's like, well, I'm not going to do that again. Um, you know, right. <laughs> and, and as he, as you say in your article, it's representative, not, uh, it's illustrative not representative. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah exactly it's yeah. not it representative because he never does that again you know but it's like yeah that's a tool that's not in his toolbox you know he just he physically can't jam up you know big outside dudes you know because just like he's gonna get knocked down you know so like yeah that's a downside um but you know that's it's what you got to deal with um but like, uh, you know, there, there's other, there's a lot of other stuff that's, that's great about him. Like he's very technically refined, which is, you know, pretty, uh, you know, pretty amazing, um, for a guy who's just a true sophomore and who didn't have his, you know, the, the, his, his super awesome coach for that year that he was the starter. Um, 
I, uh, you know, um, yeah, just level of technical refinement, level of sophistication, level of intelligence. Like he does, he had a, like he had to work with really bad safeties and like, there's some discussion of this in my article where like he resists the urge to go help them in coverage and the, and therefore get beat by the dude making a break to the outside. Like, no, he stays up against the sideline and just trust the safeties to do their jobs. And then the safety sometimes don't do their jobs <laughs> and it's like, but that's what you're supposed to do as a football player. You know, you're supposed mm-hmm. to do your job, trust your teammates to do their job and don't go try to do it for them. And so he never, like, there's not a single example in the entire year of him. Like, oops, he's out of position because he tried to go do somebody else's job. So like, mm-hmm. good, you know, that's, that gets a thumbs up for me. Now I can't show it, of course, but, you know, I can't show a negative, but like, that's sort of the problem with cornerback tape is like, I can't, I can't show film of guys of a dude never screwing up and I can't show film of, of somebody never getting thrown against, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's, that's why the, it was so frustrating watching the Oregon all 22 is just like, wow, this is really interesting <laughs> film of him never getting thrown against. Like, right. you know, no one, no one can profit from this, but me is kind of unfortunate but anyway like that's just the name of the game with cornerbacks you're just gonna have to trust me like they weren't throwing against nico reed you know you just have to believe me um uh so anyway uh uh, the other problem with him is he's a bad tackler like he's a really bad tackler and he (laughs) doesn't he doesn't have to be that's he just doesn't wrap up he just like he goes and folds himself over and he tries to hit with his shoulder every single time like every single time unless he's behind and trying to like if somebody screws up and he's being playing safety like like literally he's like being the safety on this play because like the rest of the defense screwed up and so he's trying to catch somebody behind then he'll grab your leg and wrap you up like then he'll tackle appropriately but that's it or if you like jump in the air then he'll wrap you up around the waist and and drive you to the ground like he knows how to do it he just won't and i'm sort of like hey man i feel like if demetrius martin were his coach he would have been like no not acceptable um i'm hoping that that is going to be the case at oregon now that he's reunited with his good cornerbacks coach you're gonna be like that's not cool dude because like that's really i make this point in my article like that's really the shock from watching like triquas bridges these last two years where it's like for whatever else the flaws about triquas bridges as a cornerback like that dude can tackle like you do not get anything after the catch that dude is gonna find you like heat seeking missile he is gonna wrap you up and you get nothing else because he's a big dude with long levers and he knows how to wrap up and he knows how to tackle properly and you're done um and that's a valuable skill that like Oregon fans often don't really appreciate and Nico Reed's like totally you know the the inverse of of Triquiz Bridges like he's super technically refined he's really good cover corner um but like if you catch the ball and it's or if you're like a, a running back on a run play and it's Nico Reed's responsibility to tackle you like you're probably gonna get another eight yards um because like he's you know unless somebody coaches that out of him uh it was like embarrassing it was like really embarrassing to watch him try to he was making business decisions a lot and i was like that's bad don't do that yeah you've got some pretty good examples of both both with that you know running catch up and and um grab by the ankles which is uh it i mean he's got some impressive wheels yeah, he does. Like, he's a fast guy. And, and it's like, and, and I don't want to, like, imply that he's, like, not a team player or anything either. Well, first of all, I sort of hate that stuff. That's sort of, like, psychologizing thing. I don't know him personally. It's, it's mm-hmm. stupid. And it's like, anybody who makes it to, to a Power 5 football team is making so many sacrifices in terms of, like, I, I, that's so dumb. I'm just, And plus, the film definitely shows that, like, that dude is trying to help his team so hard. Like, like I have a whole clip compilation of him, like, trying his damnedest to rescue the play from the crappy defense that he's on that's not doing all the, their jobs um 
so like definitely not a fair you know thing to say i'm just saying his tackle technique is just like dude wrap up like i know you know how to do it like stop with this like throwing your shoulder at people you know nonsense like just like i don't know i sound like a crusty old you know coach with a buzz cut and a mustache just like come on man like wrap up like i really hope that it gets coached out of him anyway the um that but but i mean that's about it for the downsides like otherwise i was very very impressed with this film and it was just as a true sophomore and without his coach and a bad team like i, I really think his upside you know is like I, I as, as i said in my article like i think if he were in normal circumstances which like colorado not normal um in normal circumstances like his trajectory is to be into like elite territory by the time that he was a senior um and like he's got three to play two remaining um so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm interested to see how he fits into the Oregon cornerback room. I will tell you this, like, I'm not sure if he wins a starting job, you know, how, how he works with like Manning and Bridges and, you know, some of these very exciting true freshmen and Florence and some of these other guys, you know, who are in Oregon's room. Um, you know, I don't really know how it plays out. I'm really excited to see it in fall camp because there's some very good options in Oregon's cornerback room. It's a very deep room um, with some very, you know, options, sort of all different levels of experience and talent, you know, and he's the lowest guy in the in terms of the talent, you know, in the room. But he's also got a lot of experience and this film was very cool to watch in terms of his technical refinement. Very impressive to watch. Um, and he's reunited with Demetrius Martin, you know, uh, which, you know, that's cool, too. Um I'll, yeah, I'll after, after after reading your article, it's going to be interesting to see um, how Martin coaches him, him up, and you know, see if he can improve on uh, some of the some of the downside. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I the tackling and the stuff that you illustrate. I mean, if the if the guy never catches the ball, then like tackling is irrelevant. It's sort of like what we talked about in baseball all year long, you know, in softball too. You know, like hey, if the pitcher wins, you know, the fielding is irrelevant. Um, right. But uh, the thing that I'm, you know, uh, the thing that I'm, uh, even if Nicka Reed never, you know, wins a starting job, which is a possibility. What I'm really interested in is what I remember is when Oregon played Arizona last year, they went, they did something very interesting, which nobody has talked about. Um, and I really feel like Dan Lanning deserved an award for, um, cause it was so cool is they went to a 33 stack defense and, uh, they, and in addition to that, this is not necessary to a 33 stack defense, but in addition to that, they put three cornerbacks on the field. They pulled safety from their typical nickel configuration and they pulled and they put a third cornerback in um, to, because like Arizona puts, you know, the, their fourth receiver is actually a tight end, but really he's not a tight end. He's just a big Y receiver like Drake London was for USC. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they basically run, it's not four verts, it's actually like one vert and three in-breaking routes on like every play. Um, and like Oregon covered it with three cornerbacks. Um, it was, you know, it was actually really interesting to watch. Like, and, and they shut Arizona down actually really effectively with that. And I really wished Oregon would have done something similar to Washington. Like I, it was actually in my article and in the podcast after it where I was sort of like really disappointed with Oregon in that, in Oregon strategy against Washington, they really only had one strategy, which was to concede the field between the twenties and then make them kick field goals. And then their offense was going to get touchdowns to Washington's field goals, which actually was an effective strategy. And in fact, they probably would have won the game with it if not for Nix's um, injury. But it's like, why only have one strategy when you could have two strategies, you, you know, where your second strategy is to not just concede the middle of the field. You could have, you know, done the Arizona game strategy, gone to a 33 stack defense put a third cornerback on the field, you know, because I know you have them, you know, you had Gonzalez and um, and uh, Bridges and Manning um, and Florence, like you could have flooded the field with cornerbacks, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's you, you know, why not you do it? you know, you know, against, you know, a bunch of small wide receivers like, well, this year they could do it. You know, they, yeah. they, you know, Nico Reed, like, even if he doesn't win, a, sorry, there's been a long digression to get to this point. Like, <laughs> I sort of like the idea of just filling your room up with a bunch of, you know, playable cornerbacks because it gives you the option to do something which a lot of teams don't have the option to do. A lot of teams, like I talked about this when I wrote my Gary Bryant 
um, article, which is the 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 lethality of a slot burner running the skinny post. Every plays that takes the top off of the defense, and you have to put a, a safety or linebacker on him who doesn't have the wheels to keep up with him. Because your alternative to that is to put a third cornerback on the field, and most teams don't have the depth in their cornerback room to put a third corner on the field to keep up with your slot burner. But like, mm-hmm. what if Oregon did? You know, what if Oregon had the ability to put a third cornerback on the field against such teams? Uh, well, I kind of think they do. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe that's what Nico Reed, you know, adds, even if he doesn't win a starting job. Um, yeah. Or if he does win a starting job, it, the, whoever he demotes to not starter could be that guy. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think it's a cool addition. I, I don't think he's just a a backup. Oh, in case one of our dudes gets injured, we have this low three star hanging around that the old coach, you know, th- uh, fr- from his old school threw him a bone and and or, or rescue uh, threw him a, a, a life preserver to rescue him from the sinking ship that was Coach Prime. You know, getting rid of all the players. If anybody's thinking that's what happened. Uh, no, I don't think that's true at all. I really like Nico Reen's film and I really think he adds some potential, potentially really interesting options, um, to Oregon's, uh, um, cornerback, uh, situation. Um, and potentially could be a starting level player. Um, I mean, honestly, as a cover corner guy, I like him better than, uh, than the film that I've watched for a number of Oregon cornerbacks who are coming back. So like, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed reading the article. I've uh, enjoyed reading uh, all the duck dives uh, this uh, summer. Uh, oh, thank you. Very really much. good information. Well, I, 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 in particular, I enjoyed writing this one. I really, uh, I like writing offensive line articles, and I like like writing um, defensive back articles because they really let me sort of really nerd out about you know talking about like leverage and like some of the more like technical uh, you know aspects of fundamental football um, that I often don't have time to do or the 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 um, you know the the during the regular season it's not super appropriate to get in depth about that sort of stuff. And I can really only do it when I'm writing about a single player, which like, that's what, you know, these off season articles allow me to do. So like, uh, you know, for anybody who just listens to the podcast and doesn't read these articles, like, uh, but you enjoy the sort of like technical discussion about this man, you should really read this article. I, I, there's a lot of good teaching tape. And I, and like I said, I acquired from sources that shall remain anonymous, uh, the all 22 and there's, you know, every one of these clip compilations has, has all 22 film in it, multiple all 22. I believe every single one of them has at least one has, it has two different all 22 clips that really give you like the Eagle eye view for the entire, like how the play develops, um, which is really, really valuable. Um, all right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Badwater? Well, no, not parting words of wisdom. I just, uh, I'm going to be out camping in the, the Capitol forest in Washington state next mm. week. And, um, I, I hope the fire gods don't show up. I, I don't want to be in the middle of a wildfire. So, uh, I just hope it's nice and quiet and I have a relaxing week. Uh, and well, go I, ducks. <laughs> I wish that for you too. I, I hope the, the fire stays away. The smoke stays away that none of that seeds, any rain clouds for you, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>